I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female, where every week I speak with women changemakers who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. This week, my guest is Chris Bergeron, Vice President for Content Experience at ad agency Cossette. Chris is the former editor-in-chief of Montreal's iconic cultural weekly, Voir, where she worked until she made a move to the world of advertising several years ago. Chris is also a trans woman whose first novel, Valide, was just published and is available in bookstores in her native French. In this book, Chris explores her trans identity using a futuristic science fiction thriller as backdrop. In this conversation, we explored what it means to be trans in today's world, and Chris talked about the lack of recognition for trans women in the feminist movement. Chris also shared how she likes to deal with gender politics in the workplace, and she talks about what a world with less hate and more tolerance would be like. Here is our conversation. All right, so we're recording. Chris, it's a pleasure meeting you, and thank you so much for speaking with me on The Brand is Female today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad we finally get to speak. Same here. I think we tried over a year ago, so I'm glad that, you know, we, we just waited for you to write a book so we could reconnect again. There you go. I feel we've been going around in the same circles for the past 15 years or so, and yet we've, we've never really connected. So I'm, I'm glad uh, we're finally there. Absolutely. Same here. And I want to start by asking you, so going back in time a little bit, uh, growing up, what did you think you would do later in life? And I mean, since you've recently written a book, which we'll talk about, was being an author even on your radar at that time? You know, I think it might have been when I was uh, a teenager, when I was maybe, you know, 13, 14. Around that age, I really fell in love with with books. Um, I used to go every summer, visit my grandmother in France, and she had a friend uh, who was a nun. And one day uh, she would get um, all sorts of donations. And one day she got donations from for books and she came to visit us and she brought a mountain of books, Alexandre Dumas, uh, you know, all these, all these sort of French classics. And, and, and I spent summer after summer reading them. And, and I think at around that time, I thought this could be something that is extremely fun. Now, obviously now I'm in my mid forties, so it took me a while to get the confidence to uh, to write but the thing that pushed me a little bit um at least helped me master the craft to a certain amount to to a certain degree was the fact that I was a journalist for so many years so so you know that there was always something but it but I always come from the it always came from the the love of reading if you had to sum up um you know maybe the the past decade and really um what led you to want to write this book about your experience? And maybe, I'm, I'm sure it was a, a multitude of events, but maybe there was kind of a tipping point where you felt like you really wanted that story to be heard. Yeah, so there definitely was a, a tipping point. And that tipping point was when I started speaking out. It, it took me a, a very long time to come out of the closet because I was so afraid of losing everything I had uh worked for as a male-looking individual. 
you know, and I benefited from obviously the privilege of the privileges of of looking like that for so long, right? Um, but but I felt that the work, the world of of work, and um, wasn't uh, wasn't open enough uh, for me to to actually transition uh, without paying a, a, a very large cost. And so it, it took me a while to find the actual uh, an environment where where I could feel safe. And once I did, um, these opportunities starting popping up for conferences, speaking out, you know, people would notice me in meetings or so, you know. And, uh, and so I started giving these sort of short little talks about my experience. And one day my publisher was present at one of those and said, let's, let's do a, let's write an essay about this. And, uh, my answer to that was like, well, no, let's not write an essay. Let's write a novel, and uh, you know, turn this into yeah. There's enough for a novel, so so let's let's make this you know some kind of uh, creative um, endeavor, which which I think is more interesting. It makes it it, it makes for a better read, but it, but it really I, I had to go, uh, I had to make those first steps, those initial steps of being a speaker before being a writer. And I had to master my own narrative before I could create one, you know, because what's in the book is my life, but it's also fiction. In fact, it's science fiction because I go into the future. So, so, you know, it's a, it's a science, it's an, it's a sci-fi autobiography. So I talk about the past, but I also imagine the future and, um, you know, so it's a question of confidence and confidence often comes from others. From, you know, we, we keep saying that it's, you know, confidence is sort of self-born, but it's not. It actually very often comes from the environment in which you are allowed to exist. Well, and speaking of the environment and when I, um, in fact, when we, we started having conversations and, and, and we were in touch and I, I was seeing you uh, be mentioned in, in, you know, industry talks and uh, you were, you were, I think you were starting kind of that journey, uh, giving more conferences and, and doing public speaking. Um, and you obviously work in the, in the advertising industry. So for people who don't know, um, what was that like starting to talk about your journey, your experience to your colleagues in your workplace? And from what I can tell, it seemed like you were surrounded and still are by a very supportive, uh, you know, work environment and colleagues and industry overall. But I'd love to know how that played out. So speaking out. And, and starting, you know, that journey of, of being a public speaker was something that is, and still, I mean, it is today, and, and it, it was very much so at the beginning, very emotional. Such an emotional journey. Because um, it, it, it felt like I was delving into very personal stuff, talking about trauma, talking about, um, you know, the way in which I'm seen in other people's eyes, talking about per public perception, um, confidence and the absence of confidence, all these things. And so the first couple of uh, times I gave my talk, most, I, I mean, I wasn't able to to do the whole thing without crying, without without just bursting into tears. And then people in the audience started crying as well. So the first couple of times were a bit of, a, you know, were tearful events. Uh, obviously, when I was doing it, you know, in front of my colleagues, so that was my first audience. But even after 
when when I was on on other stages, there was there was always this moment where, you know, I would I would choke up, and then and then people would would have that reaction as well. And you know, there's something cathartic about about that level of vulnerability, uh, putting yourself out there, and in a way, I tried to, um, you know, set up my talks as an experience, as an emotional experience. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a big show, you know, by any means, but I, I try to connect on a, on a very human level and I am very frank and very candid about, about my life. And so the interesting thing is that it, it goes from the very personal to the, you know, more business uh, aspect of, of, uh, you know, uh, our, our reality. So, um, I think that's what makes it compelling, and and I've gained confidence because of that, you know. Uh, but the funny thing is that obviously I'd, after it's it's very I'm drained <laughs> once I once I've given my talk every time I like oh my god now I have to go back to real life and you know do my job. <laughs> yeah. Was it and was it scary? I mean, I'm sure it was, but what was that process like of overcoming the obstacle of, you know, being able to speak your truth? And were you, were you afraid that, you know, that might cause rejection and that might cause, um, you know, people to be critical of you, uh, especially since you were doing it with colleagues first, right? So it's also, it's tied to your livelihood and, you know, there's always that risk of, will I still have a job? Will I still be employed? Um, I wonder what that process was like for you. Well, that fear of losing my job um, is something I've had many times in the past. In fact, I've lost my job a couple of times. And I, I imagine that who I am, uh, you know, my identity was probably part of the equation mm. that led to the decisions that my previous um, employers made when it came to to firing me. Um, so so yeah, I obviously that's that's a fear that I that I always have. Not so much of because of the way I'm treated because I'm very well treated at Cassette where I where I I work. But I guess it's sort of you know uh, residual trauma from mm -hmm. from my previous experiences. So yeah, I, I was afraid a little bit to be to be frank. But oddly enough, because of the general openness I was experiencing at the office, I knew that I was I wasn't going to be judged, and I was encouraged to to speak out and to tell my truth. And so it, it was such an open invitation that I knew that there was there was no risk. The risk happens a little bit later on when when you know I talking to your colleagues. I, I don't consider public speaking. It's almost you know. Private speaking, you're talking to people you see every day. It's when you get on stage and you start talking to people who don't know you at all. And you know, I, I from time to time, I happen to be featured in you know magazines, uh, newspapers, things like that. Whether it's for my book or just a, the, as as a professional, as as we all do after you know 20 years in the job, people mm -hmm. tend to ask for insights and things. So. Um, that's where I get the most afraid is, is, you know, being a magnet for hate, being mm -hmm. a target, um, as so many trans women are. And, and so, and on occasion I do get, you know, the weird, um, 
the weird message on Instagram or on Facebook, the the random death threat, all those things. Uh, so wow. that, that that is that is more what scares me than mm-hmm. I think the the reactions of people in the room when I mm-hmm. give the, those talks because those are people that are usually primed to hear the message, you know, right. to hear it. Whereas mm-hmm. the greater public, uh, if if I go on a radio show, if I go on a TV show, um, this week I'm doing a lot of that for the launch of my book. Uh, yeah, then there's a bit of fear because I don't know I don't know who I don't know who's going to watch it. I don't know how they're going to react, right? Mm-hmm. So, And do you find that mindsets have evolved? Because you've been, um, you know, you've been talking about your your, your journey and, and you've been, uh, you know, openly a, a, a trans woman for, for a few years now. Uh, do, do you, have you noticed that mindsets have evolved and that, because, you know, I think to me and, and to a lot of people who listen to us, obviously this is in 2021, it, it, it kind of goes without saying that you know a trans woman is a woman, and it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it 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 shouldn't be something that you know inspires hate or, or, or you know criticism. But we know that's not necessarily reality for everyone around the world. But have you find have you found that in our society in 2021 there's been progress uh, in in that regard? Undoubtedly, there's been legal progress. Mm-hmm. There's you know legal protections that weren't there before. There, there's progress at an HR level. I certainly see it where I work, but it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, the 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 amount of uh, clients that I work with that call me up and say, "Hey, we're working on uh, an, a trans program internally. Uh, you know, we'd love you to come in and and give a talk." is is quite large. There, are, you know, a lot of companies now are thinking about about this. So, so that those are all very positive changes. I even notice when I walk down the street that I don't get insulted as much as I used to. You know, people mm-hmm. don't um, uh, yell names at me as they used to maybe ten years ago. I don't know whether it's because you know I've been on hormones for a long while, so my face has changed and I'm <laughs> I'm more obviously feminine than I was in the early days. But I think it's it's also linked to the fact that something has changed in society. And now people see, oh, well, even if they notice that I am a trans woman, they're like, okay, well, that's a trans woman and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's happening and that's the positive. Um, and yet reversely, uh, there's, a, there's a flip side to this, which is we are more visible and so we are more targets, generally trans people. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, through Facebook and through social platforms, there, there has been this proliferation of, of hate, and it's 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 easier than ever to be hateful without any repercussions. And so I've noticed that there there, there is an increase of uh, hateful, you know, rhetoric both on social media and also in traditional media, and they kind of amplify each other, mm-hmm. as you know. Um, and and so today, still, I I find that trans lives. Uh, are still up for debate, you know. Right. People are still debating whether trans teenagers can play sports. People are still debating about pronouns. People are still debating about, um, you know, papers and and the way you should call somebody, you know, when you're saying hello in a store. These are all things that 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 you know have been written about in our various newspapers here, and and not and sometimes not from a very progressive. Um, standpoint, so so that that debate is still raging. Uh, I, I I think I think we're we're still not 
at a stage where we are completely accepted. And also our fate, you know, the fate of my community, I think, is um, tied to the system. So we are accepted if politicians accept us, right? Mm -hmm. But if tomorrow uh, less progressive forces were to take over, then perhaps our rights would be greatly reduced, as was the case in the U.S. for the past yeah. few years. And there were some some concrete steps taken against trans people that Biden now is. Oh, sorry, I just hit my mic. That Biden <laughs> now is um, dismantling. Uh, currently dismantling. Mm -hmm. So, so it, it's it's certainly not uh, an issue that is settled. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners who can provide education, financing, mentorship, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. And in terms of, um, and, and obviously, I mean, and, and I think what you bring up around social media and even traditional media um, and, and the level of, um, subversive well not always so subversive but that level of hate that can be generated and it has to do with how um you know again users are are you you, you refer to the fact that it's easy to hide behind a screen if if somebody is going to perpetuate hate and and be critical of of uh you know of, of various things about about other individuals uh, it's super easy if you're doing it hiding behind your screen and there's not so much policing that is being done by social platforms. And then if we add uh, the, the stance of, of traditional media on top of it, and I like how you bring up that they, they kind of amplify each other, how, what changes would you like to see, uh, to see made and, and, and what kind of responsibility do you think that social platforms, media platforms, or even tech companies have in, in this regard? Well, the social platforms, especially the ones, you know, the major ones, the ones that have hundreds of millions, if not billions of users, uh, you know, there's an inherent problem to them, which is uh, no matter how well attention they might be in terms of trying to police hate on, on, on their um, various, you know, platforms and services, um, they're always a little bit behind the act, right? Mm -hmm. They're... they're you know, it's set up in a way that they are spotting hate. So mm -hmm. hate has to happen for it to be removed. True. Right? So it's it's always after the fact. It's always after the crime is committed. And mm -hmm. uh, that that to me is, is the result of the lack of proper, um, I, I would say, uh, education on those platforms. You know, governments... Um, you know, year after year, um, create these these campaigns for, you know, uh, acceptance or against racism or against transphobia. You know, every government does it at every level. There's a sense of public ed education around those issues, and and I think I think social media platforms 
because perhaps they're libertarian at heart. I don't know what it is, but uh, there there is a sense of not being, you know, an unwillingness to take a stand. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're quite shy. I mean, they, they're very, you know, they, they, they're maybe a little bit defensive when we say that, and then they show you a list of things that they've done. Right. But I certainly don't see them these organizations as being thought leaders against hate in in no way are, are, are they trying to, to um, curb the culture, mm-hmm. right. Towards mm-hmm. a positive thing. And it's, it's, it's too bad because that's the media part of social media. You know, they consider themselves to be just platforms. Um, but the media aspect is this, the, it means being able to take sometimes an editorial stand on things. Mm-hmm. and plant a flag, you know, and planting a flag for, you know, uh, uh, an open, caring environment is is not, should not be seen as a risk. So that's that's the first thing. And then after that, for new newcomers, people that are building new platforms, well, I imagine the challenge would be to try to uh, foster an environment from the start where hate doesn't have its its place. And that that can be also through biases. It can be through the onboarding process as you enter the platform, right? The way you, the way you can identify yourself, the use of pronouns, like you know, the the the, the social contract you sign before jumping into the platform. All these things, mm-hmm. you know. For instance, uh, um, Clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I joined Clubhouse, and uh, I haven't spoken on it yet. But I, the thing I've noticed is once you have an invitation, it is, it's extremely easy to get on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it feels like a platform where pretty much anything could be said. Absolutely. And I'm not, yeah. Yeah, I'm not entirely comfortable with, um, it doesn't feel like a safe environment. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so, so I, I, I don't know what, you know, I haven't seen a message coming from them uh, explaining how they, 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 they they're acting. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I think it's I think it's about the sort of you know conscious effort to 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 explain the the steps and 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 you know their commitment to diversity for all of these platforms and and the protection of 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 diversity and and you know again hate and disagreement are not the same thing. True. Um, you can disagree. You can be progressive or you can be conservative. That is fine. You can have what I'm talking about is is when the when um, politeness disappears, when insults start start being you know uh, uh, used. That that is is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you know a left leaning or a right leaning bend to to, to those mm-hmm. platforms. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of concerns with Clubhouse specifically. And it's it's interesting what you say. The the new startups playing in this area have, you know, it's they don't have the excuse that an established platform has because they're trying to correct decisions that have been made in the past. But a new platform should be getting it right from the start. So there shouldn't be room for you know hateful comments or any 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 type of discrimination and and uh, you know behavior that can that can hurt others. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of lot of question marks uh, when it comes to Clubhouse and some of some of the new platforms currently. Um, yeah. I want to talk about representation a little bit. 
and ask you, um, and I mean, first of all, I think, you know, you've become a role model and an inspiration for so many. And the fact now that, you know, you've, you've written a book, so you, you'll reach even more, uh, even more people with your, with your inspiring journey. Uh, but in, in your case, were there role models um, and maybe uh, could be trans women, could be, could be other people who inspired you uh, you know, along this path and, and who kind of served as a, as a guiding light and inspiration for you? Well, you know, let's talk about, I guess, trans role models first, because there are few and, and, and far between. So it, it feels like where, you know, I have a image I use on, uh, in my talk where I say, sometimes I feel like I'm a little penguin stuck on an iceberg that's floating away, you know, <laughs> and I'm alone and I'm on my little iceberg and I'm floating, you know, and society is a, a little bit further. And sometimes if you're floating away and you're on those seas, you see another iceberg with another penguin far away. You can't talk to that penguin, but you know, you know, she's there. And that's how, that's how, that's my relationship to my trans role models, which is, and I think it's the same for a lot of trans women, is that sometime you hear about one of us and, and, and you see um, what they've created. Because a lot of trans women I find, and trans men and non-binary people, mm-hmm. shine a bright light. A lot of them are very creative. A lot of them are, you know, waving a flag and, and saying, hear my truth, you know, hear me speak. And, and I think it's wonderful to, to see these, these moments of um, creativity, whether it's TV shows like Pose, um, you know, in the States on FX, whether it's uh, here in Quebec, uh, author Gabriel Boulian Tremblay, who is, you know, who just launched a, a, another trans biography, autobiography uh, a few weeks before mine. And she's also getting a lot of representation, you know, whether it's artists like Backwash, who's a, uh, you know, in her own words, an, an angry trans rapper, which I think is wonderful. We need those as well. And 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 so, uh, those are the role models, and they're they're everywhere, in every field. And uh, but but, you know, do we all get around? Do we all meet in a room? Do we all speak to each other regularly? Do we mentor each other? Sometimes we don't even have the time to do that, you know. So we, we tr- you know, I try to reach out. And, and, but just the fact that they're out there and I get to see them on a screen or in a book or, you know, on Spotify or what have you, uh, that, that, that is a lot, you know, because that wasn't there 10, 15 years ago. 10 years ago, maybe, but 15 years ago, it, 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 it's, it, they weren't public. And the, the trend stories you would hear were, you know, more sensational in nature. You know, it, it, it wasn't about their progress in society. It was about the sort of gruesome details of, you know, operations and things like that. That's what right. people focused on. Or, you know, trans lives connected to uh, sex work or trans life con- connected to a certain sense of, uh, marginalization and violence and all these things, which very often, you know, those things are linked, but, you know, in, in, in people's experiences. But uh, I, I think now the world is getting open enough that you can see all sorts of role models. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, th- I think it's a wonderful thing. But again, I can't point out to a single trans mentor. Right. You know, we, we have to be 
our own mentors. I, I mean, my generation. I think it's different for, for the younger uh, people out there. Mm. And do you feel that it came with a responsibility when, uh, you know, as, as you went through the transition and did it feel, you know, did it feel like something that you had to do speaking up for trans rights, speaking up for, you know, to be able to inspire, uh, other, other trans people and, and, and talk about that journey. And, and, and I know it, it very much came naturally to you to want to share and, you know, you started doing it with, within your industry, but, you know, does it feel, I can imagine that sometimes it, it comes with pressure when we are, a, 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 you know, part of a minority group. Um, and I mean, I could extend that to women as well. Right. But not, not every woman is going to want to wave a flag and, and uh, be a, a diehard feminist. Um, but what, what did that look like for you? Did, and, and was there a sense of responsibility that, um, you know, that, that, that felt maybe imposed? Well, there, there, there is a sense of responsibility, I, I suppose, because when you're asked to speak, you're asked to um, affect people's minds. And so then it's somebody, you know, reaching out saying, hey, can you make the world a little bit better through what you have to say? And it's hard to say no to that. Mm -hmm. The, the, um, my fear, or I don't know if it's a fear as much as it is a, a concern, is to be reduced um, to my, you know, gender identity and, mm -hmm. and, and be only that. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I would hope that my novel is seen as a good novel and not just queer literature, which is fine. I mean, obviously it is, but, you know, above and beyond that, you know, that, that, that people, I, I love when, when, uh, I do interviews about my book and they don't necessarily focus on the trans aspect of it, but they focus about, there are parts of the book that talk about our relationship to technology as we've been mm -hmm. speaking for, you know, uh, about in the past few, few minutes. So, uh, so being reduced, being uh, being you know sort of put on a neat little shelf. This is the this is the the trans person, the trans advocate, uh, and this is what she's going to do for the rest of her life. That's mm -hmm. something that that is a concern to me, mm -hmm. because obviously, you know, I'm the former I'm a former chief editor of a magazine. I'm I'm a former creative director. I'm a VP of content. I've got skills, yes. and uh, I want to be known for those skills as well, not just my my identity right mm -hmm. i want to be known for my creativity and not just my identity so so that 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 is the, you know that is the risk of of being outspoken i would say mm -hmm. yeah yeah you become you know your identity becomes very much defined just by those parameters tokenized you know you, you become tokenized and now when i get paid to do a conference as as is beginning to happen because often, most of the time, early on, you know, that's one of the weird things is we're asked to speak, but often we're asked to speak for free. For free. Uh, you know, it's like here, talk to our thousand employees and do it for free because you've got all this free time. Yeah, exactly. You're, <laughs> so now you're I'm supposed to, to be speaking to people, and yeah. Well, that's it. So now I'm beginning to charge for it because I'm like, well, I'm, I'm kind of doing your job, you know, yeah. um, and and. Um, but then the question I'm asking myself is, am I monetizing my trauma? <laughs> is that what I'm doing? You know? And it's an interesting question. Absolutely. Um, a few minutes ago, I was on a Zoom call with people from the One Club, you know, the uh, big uh, advertising uh, 
the One Club for Creativity. So it's a big advertising uh, uh, award uh, conference. Uh, anyways, and they're doing something around around uh, gender uh, equality and. Um, and it was, we were there with three other speakers uh, preparing for it. And we were the same speakers. It was the third or fourth time we had crossed each other on, on a call like this in the past year. Mm. I was like, okay, well, are we being, and one of the people there said, are we being typecast? Right. You know, why is it always the same people in, in those conferences? Why is it always the same four or five speakers that, that, mm. that keep showing up? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that that begs the question of true diversity. You know, yeah. um, that that the day we reach that, uh, perhaps I'll have less work. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, and that will it'll be for a good reason. Uh, for a good reason, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to ask you. So we've obviously been in a pandemic for you know twelve months now. Uh, there, and, and there's been other movements throughout this pandemic, including a, a racial reckoning. And I think, you know, I like to say it's really, in a way, it's helped uh, kind of, you know, elevate our consciousness uh, on, on many different levels. And um, I've been asking guests on, on the show lately, what's one way they think, um, d- you know, this, the status of women has improved and what's one way that we've gone backwards? And I wonder for you if you've observed anything of the sort. What's one way that um, you know you feel our our voices, and I'll, I want to include you know trans women, non-binary people, but you know the the, the larger group here. What's one way um, our, our our lives, or even uh, maybe it's just our, our voices being heard more. But I know we've also lost, uh, you know, when we look at women and a lot of people refer to the she session with women who have been affected by, uh, you know, larger uh, numbers of, of jobs being lost in industries where women are typically overrepresented. Women have to deal with uh, added responsibilities when it comes to childcare, and the list goes on and our mental health has obviously been affected. So what's one plus for you and what's one minus if you look at the past 12 months? The plus today is difficult to find. Um, you know, I'm I'm a little bit worried. So I would say that the plus is the fact that women are noticing there is a step uh, back that that's happening in in our lives, and are not having it, and are raising the flag. I think that to me is 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 you know very much a, a, a positive, which is like this thing is happening. We're losing our jobs where, uh, you know, subject to more violence at home. And right now it seems that in many organizations, the people that are getting promotions are men. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The, the, the people that are positioning themselves as the saviors of their industry through this time of, of crisis um, seem to be positioning themselves as these, you know, captains of the rough seas to go back to maritime metaphors. Um, and, and that to me is, is, is something that's, that's a little bit scary, but, but we're seeing a pushback. We're seeing women saying, no, that we can't go back to that. Uh, but I, I'm a little bit scared for what happens when we get back to work and we find that, uh, uh, all of a sudden, all of our bosses are guys again, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, 
And that comes with a certain type of culture. And that comes with, you know, there will be a culture shift mm-hmm. as, as, you know, the discourse is that power is being shared today. That's the public discourse that we're hearing on a lot of platforms by a lot of leaders. I'm afraid that the reality is not that at all. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid that the reality is that power is being concentrated right now mm-hmm. in the hands of a certain, you know, specific um, group and 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 that they are using the diversity, open-mindedness sort of um, discourse in order to even position themselves more solidly in in their role as leaders because then they become enlightened re- uh, uh, leaders. You see what I mean? Now I'm not. I don't want to make it seem like I'm anti-men and that men shouldn't be CEOs and that men. That's not what I'm saying. Obviously not. But. Uh, I, I'm, I'm saying, you know, things weren't going fast enough before and they, they're slowing down mm-hmm. when it comes to gender equality. And that is highly problematic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, and you referred earlier in the interview about the, the privilege that you were aware you were leaving behind when you chose to yeah. become what during during your transition. And um I, it's it's I've had discussions lately with uh, the author uh, Koa Beck, who wrote the book White Feminism, and mm-hmm. where she addresses the fact that our our modern feminist movement, um, you know, is often we we think it's very progressive and very inclusive, but we're, we're leaving out a lot of a lot of women, a lot of um, uh, well trans women included, a lot of women who don't fit a certain status or. Uh, are not uh, uh, are, are a lot of women who are not white as well, and it. I, I wonder in your case, what's your perspective on, you know, you went through uh, letting go of the privilege attached to being a man, and then knowing that even as a woman, you risk, you know, being part of a subgroup of women that is not fully recognized by a lot of women, uh, mm-hmm. including women who call themselves feminists. And I wonder what that reality has been like for you and what your your take on that is. Um, you know, obviously, when I talk about the loss of my privilege, I, I always start with the caveat that I, I am quite privileged just being, a, a, you know, a VP in a successful agency. So I can't say that I'm not privileged. I am. But that privilege is built on experiences that I, I've lived hiding as a male. Mm-hmm. And so it certainly wasn't easy to live like that. You know, there, there was a lot of pain associated to it in my life. I don't look at those days as, you know, certainly happy days. But I, I was coached and to a degree and I was, I was you know, trained and, and, and pushed in a certain direction, you know, towards leadership. And uh, uh, when it was time to come out, I could, I could use that sort of, you know, rap sheet and say, look, I've done this in the past so you you have no choice but to trust me because the facts are there and 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 that that helped me maintain and even grow my career uh as i was doing this transition mm-hmm. but but you know i did lose my job twice so so there was up and downs but i i've managed to sort of you know keep keep climbing uh and and be sort of agile one of the things that i one of the privileges i think i've lost is the, the privilege of choice probably um you know because i my initial 
uh, my, my initial passion was journalism. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to do, and that's what I did uh, for for the long, you know, for about 10, 15 years. I was a journalist, and 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 I left that world in order to transition because I thought that the world of journalism wasn't opened enough, mm-hmm. right? I couldn't mm-hmm. see a newsroom where, as a trans woman, I would be respected enough, and I I would, fa- I would have, I would be offered the the sort of, you know, challenges and and you know, build my career in a way that was interesting. And so I went into advertising. I, I started from scratch when I was thirty five. I changed mm-hmm. industries, which, you know, is is not terribly young. Yeah. So. But then I had to take whatever job was available, in a sense, and 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 in whichever way I could recycle my skills. So mm-hmm. I went from, I went from advert from journalism to content marketing because it's sort of a similar, you know, sidestep. But yeah. I had to fight for so long in order to be uh, recognized as a creative or a strategist of of some value. Uh, you know, I had to fight a long time to be listened to. And so, if I compare my my um, professional path to people who had the privilege of choosing a job and getting better at it through years and years and years of practice, I realized that the, the reason why mine is so sinuous is because I am trans, is because I had to bounce back, reinvent myself, get new skills, um, and and come, you know, this is, I'm entering my third career now. Right. Actually, because as a speaker and a writer, and so so now all of a sudden I have to learn new skills, mm-hmm. and which keeps me young, keeps me on edge. That's great. Yeah, but uh, uh, you could it's it's you could see it as a loss of privilege in a way because mm-hmm. you know there's a hustle that needs to happen mm-hmm. in order to keep to keep growing, and uh, I'm I'm not sure. I think it's certainly the case for a lot of women, and I and, and but I, not so much for. Uh, the straight white males that I that I cross in in my past, who mm. are very linear in linear in their in their experiences, you know, yeah. No, it's true, and I think women often face that reality of a second or third career, uh, including women who choose to have children, right? And when you often when you return from mat leave, it's not always a given that you'll pick up where you left off, and a lot of women make the choice of you know. Even even before they have children, and there's a multitude of reasons why women often, you know, have to go through that transition of the multiple careers. So I think yeah. I think we need to normalize that, you know, that non-linear career trajectory because there's there's more and more of us uh, uh, living through it. And to answer your question about you know being excluded, see, you know, how some women do not see trans women as women. I mean it. It doesn't anger me, but it saddens me. I know where they're coming from. I imagine I know where they're coming from, which is, again, a place of trauma, mm-hmm. a place of you know not, not feeling safe enough that you know sharing a space with a trans woman feels like an aggression. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a that's a sad state of affairs because obviously we're <laughs> we're not aggressive. We're not you know we're not trying to. Take anybody's place but our own. So, so it's it's it it saddens me that uh, you know I f- I feel we should be on the same camp, uh, you know. And I I fail to see. I may understand some of the hard, cold logic behind it, but I I don't see the heart behind it. Mm, yeah. 
Um, and then I want to ask you my favorite question to ask guests on the show, and it's, what do you wish women would do more of? And recently, I've had guests answer that, what, what they wish women would do less of, which I'm I'm really liking, too. So you can choose uh, to, to respond in however way you want. What they would do more. You know, it's funny because I, I why is it always... Why do we have to do more? <laughs> I think we do enough. Mm-hmm. You know, women, trans women, women of color. I think we do so much. Uh, so I think the, the answer to your question is, what are men going to do for us? <laughs> you know? I like what that can a lot. They, what can they do? Mm-hmm. We're doing plenty. Mm-hmm. We're doing all, we're making all the right moves. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I love think. that take on it. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll find we'll find a few men and ask them what what are they going to do more for for us? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean so that's one aspect. Mm-hmm. The other aspect is I think maybe then a question of mental framework. You know, I try to, you know, the world is shaped by our perception of the world is is shaped by our our trauma, by our joys, by our sense of uh, shame and our sense of pride and all of these things. And and so we get to decide at least how we interact, how we process the information that the world feeds us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so for instance, uh, I at work, I see the orders of my male bosses as suggestions mm. <laughs> and uh, my female superiors as orders. I love that concept. <laughs> and it doesn't matter whether, you know, who who ranks up to who in the organization. Like I really don't see, I, I don't see things in that, in that way. So uh, if, if, if you're, if, if you're a male who's always known privilege and has always you know has had a certain type of life then what you tell me is a suggestion if especially if what you're telling me is to do more and do better and be more creative and be more productive and and give and give and give and give that to me is a suggestion well thank you so much chris it was great catching up with you we'll pick up a copy of valid and who knows it might be available in english very soon and thank you so much for for sharing all of this with with me today it was a absolute pleasure thank you i really hope you enjoyed today's conversation and if you did as always don't forget to subscribe rate and give us a review wherever that is possible Thank you to TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs, for the support of The Brand is Female. You got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in a week with a new guest.